are in the Grotto Pod. We are in the Grotto Pod. We are all in the Grotto Pod. We and are. frankly, there's not room for anyone else. No. Uh, we take up a lot of space. Our guest today was Josh Moore, and frankly, there wasn't room for him. No. He's kind of a big guy, and, and as you'll hear, I thought he was a small guy. No one is clear on why that is. Larry's uh, clear. I... You know, maybe it's just too much watching movies and or rock. Like I thought, John Doe from X was going to be a big guy, not that big of a guy. Have I showed you my picture with John Doe? No, you haven't. I'd okay, like I'm going to show you later. Mm-hmm. I would really like to see that. But I, as an exam, I thought he was a big guy, little guy. Is he? Uh, well, oh, oh, little, oh, oh, but, oh, John Doe. I thought you were talking about Josh. I was confused. Okay, no, yes. Josh John, is big. John Doe is small. Right. So yeah. I just assume when I haven't met someone and when they've like Josh's book. Um, Sirens. Sirens. The new book. Thank you very much. The new book. That just came out. The memoir. Yeah. uh, That just came out is pretty harrowing. Yes. And it seems, I'm just, seems like a tale of a guy who needed to fit into small spaces. Yeah. You know, who could maybe hide. Yeah. And he's he's bigger than life in real life. Josh is a little bit. He's a big guy. Yeah, and he has tats, and he's got big biceps. And he was here with the short sleeves, exposing the tats and the big guns. And I like frankly, that. I get a little nervous around guys whose arms are bigger than mine. I'm used to having you know the bigger arms in the room. But, are you? Huh. Well, that's why I'm a little worried about this grotto pod that it can actually contain them. But um, maybe you should wear short sleeves more because you always wear long sleeves. So I haven't cold. seen your guns. It's cold. It when is it gets a little warmer, cold. I'll switch I'm wearing to the a short scarf sleeves. right now. I know. That's it, how cold it is. It's a little cold, but I'm. We're you know, saying that from San Francisco. It's like minus twenty. I know. It's fine. <laughs> Everywhere else, it's, it's fine. It's not cold. It's it's not. We think it is. It's it's, it's comfortable. You know what the difference is though. Uh, what do you think it is, 50 outside? It's probably 55 right Okay, now. 55, 55 and there's no heat on. That's the difference. See, well, if we were someplace else, the heat see, would be on. And this is getting a little far astray from our literary purpose here, but... No, it's all I part of the I always tell life. people, my little sister lives in Phoenix, Arizona. My little sister says, it's 115, that's heat. I say, yes, but... It's dry heat. You have air conditioning. Oh, yeah. And insulation. Yeah. And if it's yeah. 80 outside, yeah. it's totally. 80 inside. That's all I'm saying. I'm throwing my arms up, and because the grotto pod is the size it is, they're actually touching each wall. They really are. I'm verifying this, visually and verbally verifying, Mm -hmm. that throwing your hands up Mm -hmm. is dangerous to your knuckles. (laughs) So again, our discussion today was, this conversation today was with Josh Moore. Uh, I had a problem wondering if I should call him Josh or Joshua, because I don't know him. Oh, that's interesting. I guess I've always called him Josh. Mm -hmm. And so I would never call him Joshua. What does it say on his book? I don't. It's have Joshua. It. It's his Joshua. Special name is Joshua. I think he's always called Josh. Yeah. It's like um, what's Poe's real name? Philip. Philip. That's right. I knew that. Yeah. And actually, it might be the time now to say that no one calls me Bridget. Yeah. For all you listeners out there thinking, oh, let's listen to Larry and Bridget. You're half right. Mm-hmm. You're listening to Larry and BQ. Right. And. I have used these last few weeks to try to cross over that bridge because uh, no pun intended. <laughs> oh, right, bridge. I get it. I've because never heard I that was introduced to my co-host here as Bridget. Right. And so, if I, all right, Bridget, it is three years. So you know how you go someplace new and you introduce yourself in a kind of formal way. Mm-hmm. Well, and also, mm-hmm. I'm published as Bridget Quinn. Right. So I was introduced as that. And so three years ago at the Grotto, we have a kind of what do they call that? Secret Santa. Yeah. Exchange. I'll never know because I'll never go to that. Because you're Jewish? Nope. Just don't like Secret Santa. Oh, okay. Um, I enjoy it. And I don't remember what prompted it, but I said I was just going to tell everybody that no one in my life calls me BQ or Bridget. Mm -hmm. Everyone calls me BQ. Mm -hmm. So could we just do that going forward? And everyone picked up on it just like that. That's awesome. Here's what's cool, though. So now you have books written by Bridget Quinn. Mm -hmm. And fans, Mm -hmm. there are legions of fans. Yes. So many. (laughs) Know you as Bridget Quinn. Right. 
I'm with you at some event. You're surrounded by fans. I say, hey, BQ, you want right. something? And they go, ooh, that right. guy's on the inside. Right. It's like that when uh, I studied very briefly with um, Ian Frazier, yeah. whose real name is Sandy. Sandy. You would never know that. Does he go by Sandy? Only goes Sandy. by Sandy. So if you know Sandy Frazier, you call him Sandy. Yeah. Like I know him. Like I saw a uh, some <clears throat> award days. show. There was a reunion, like a John Hughes movie star union. They're yeah. all up there, right? Yeah. Anthony Michael Hall's up there. And they one call him of, Tony? They call him Mike. Oh, Mike. Yeah. Mike. Let's see. How about that? Wow, that That's is pretty, pretty big cool. Deal. That's why, if God forbid anything I'm working on ever gets published in book mm-hmm, form, mm-hmm. it's going out as Lawrence. Rosen. I was going to say, is your full name Lawrence? Yep, it's going as oh. Lawrence Rosen. So then my friends will have the in, Larry. Yeah, I like that. It yeah. makes me feel good. I just want to. I just want to name drop some more. Okay, please. Because I have that time. Um, so I have now met Tobias Wolf enough times. Toby. That I call him Toby. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, He's that's cool. only called Toby. It, it even says that in This Boy's Life. They call him Toby. But in real life, he is actually called Toby Except by the everyone. the part where he wants to go by Jack. Yeah. Remember that? Yep. Well, and of course, Charles Bukowski, who we do discuss in this, uh, as I think you have to discuss when yep. you're talking to Josh, uh, people who were friends with him called him Hank. Oh, my God. I love it. He's such a Hank. Yeah, Hank. Where Charles, does it come from, Charles Bukowski, Hank? His first name is Henry. Oh, I didn't know So what know a weirdo. This. His full name is Henry Charles Bukowski. He right. goes by Charles Bukowski, but his friends call him Hank. He probably at some time in his life thought that sounded more literary. I'm sure. I'm sure, yeah. His Hank. Although I love the name Hank. I wanted to name my first child Hank, and my husband said no. I think that time has come to name your kids Hank, because people do it all the time. Yeah. So, uh, with that intro out of the way. Yeah, we're ready. We know we're talking to Joshua more. Correct. But we call no him Josh. Says Josh. We call him Josh. Yeah, because we're friendly like that here at the Grotto. Yeah, we are. So yeah. give a listen. Yeah. How does it feel to... Are we already recording? I just started recording. I think we should. Okay. Um, just because I want to be that way. Yeah, let's record. I think we should. Well, I mean, how does it feel like you walk into a room? This is your first time meeting Larry, and he knows all the stuff about you. That yeah, trippy? that's a good question, actually, because I actually, that's interesting you bring that because I wanted to ask him like that because um, last year I did a, a monthly column for the Jewish magazine about being an empty nester. My kid had just left for college. So every month I would write this thing, and every month I'd post it on Facebook, and all my friends would, oh, I cried, it was this, it was that. And then I'd go to a party in the Jewish world, and I'd meet someone. And I remember meeting this woman, just like, oh, man, you know, I love your column. And I talked to her about five minutes, and I could see her going, yeah, this guy in real life, not so much. <laughs> I felt really disappointing. So, you, so I'm sure if you write something this harrowing. Yeah. Let's just say that Sirens came out what day? The it's sort of this floating publication. Everybody has all the different ideas. Right. Um, I've noticed this as yeah, well. it seems to be the case. But I think technically it came out on the 10th, though a lot of people think it's coming out today. Oh, happy pub day. Happy pub day. Yay. Why not? Let's just pretend this is pub day. Okay, I think it's it is pub day. because we don't excited. know what day this is going live. Right. We don't care. Mm-hmm. We can float back and forward in time. But to answer your question, I've been doing, since like most people don't get to go on Terry Gross, I've been doing like all the... Local junior varsity, Terry Grosses, you know. Ta-da! So I just did one. I did two this morning, actually, and they're they're all falling in very distinct camps. Mm-hmm. There are people that want to talk about the work as like card carrying nerds, you know. Like, mm-hmm. oh, let's talk about oh. structure. Let's talk about how you've organized and curated all these things. 
or they want to like just talk about the most lurid details in the book possible. Mm-hmm. So it was eight fourteen in the morning when I called this lady this morning. She like introduced me and she goes, "So tell me about bottoming out." And you're like, "Oh my god!" That was the first question. That was the first question. Tell me your worst. But so moment. that's my that's my question. Like you immediately have this thing out ahead of you. Right. That's so. Private, right? No, it's it's a it's a mind fuck, but you also yeah. have to remember that it's also this amazing position of privilege, true, you know? and that you did it on purpose. Totally, you know, you meant to do this. I did mean to do this. Was that a smart decision? <laughs> <laughs> we could probably make a definitive argument both ways. Well, and that being said, so I think I read one interview with you where you said you started it as a love letter to your daughter Ava, mm-hmm. but beyond that. You know, five well-received novels. What makes you decide? Okay, now is the time to write a memoir and it, show and kind of bare my soul. Yeah, I would have been very comfortable having a career that never included a memoir. Like I still identify mostly as a as a novelist, but this one crazy thing that happened, it just felt like it would be better to stick to the facts. You know, to play this one straight with having all those strokes and having the surgery and then. You know, having six years off of opiates and having to get high for the surgery, it just felt the, the, the stakes were already so mortal and so danger. Like, why screw it up trying to, like, make things up? Mm-hmm. I think it would have just the, – the, the, the journey felt a little bit – uh, purer, just kind of sticking to the facts. Not to mention the fact that having a hole in your heart. The size there, of could, eight times. Could a novelist come up with anything more apt metaphorically? For, right. Well, yeah. I think you would, if you gave that, if you're a novelist and you gave that to five novelist friends, they would be like, is this a little too on the nose? Uh-huh. Yes, for sure. Is it is too like, on the nose. Is this like too Lifetime Channel? <laughs> yes and no. Turns out no. Turns so out I had to try to find other avenues. I didn't I didn't rely very heavily on that as a metaphor in the right. book. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Um, because I felt like that would get super didactic and get heavy-handed very quickly. I wanted to ask you, um, when you found out there was a hole in your heart, was there a part of you that went... Oh, like, I didn't say that, but I would say the first 10 people I told that I had a hole in my heart, they're like, yeah, we know that. That's nice. It's like, oh, That's so, nice. so all the people I know are, this confirms there's something wrong with yes, me. They all think I'm a bastard. Oh my gosh. I have to say as a nonfiction writer, the first thing I would think was you lucky bastard. Right. You have a hole in your heart. It's so juicy. It's so juicy, but you're right. It's too much. It, as a metaphor. I mean, it's you, you have to move off of it really quickly. Well, that's why I didn't I didn't hit that very hard. I tried to find a new vantage point to find my way into that because the, you know, in the book we describe the guy who who created this procedure. Yeah. Who was this Nazi doctor? Right. Right. Oh. And then like, you know, in the 1920s, he invented cardiac catheterization and changed the world. And then in the 1930s, oopsie, right? He was a Nazi, <laughs> Nazi surgeon Nazi. in the on the Russian front. So it became this really interesting um dichotomy for me to play with. Is that a good life or is that a bad life? And mm-hmm. obviously the answer is, well, it's both. Yeah. And the two things can be equally true. And if we're lucky enough to live a long time, we're going to be a bunch of different things. Definitely. And I think you said about proving that in 170 however many pages. Right, well, because you are what's the defining things about you in the book, just in this book, are <laughs> that you're an addict and a parent. Yeah. And those are about as dichotomous as many people can imagine, 
But I think the reality is we all have two pretty extreme things in us. Well, the, the bullshit thing about addiction memoirs, and this is why I didn't ever think about this as an addiction memoir. I thought about this as a relapse memoir. Uh, is that I didn't ever want to present this binary or these kind of like pat or easy answers where I go, oh, I used to drink and drug and I was bad. And I'm a good person. And now look at me. I like sit on Mount Olympus and play croquet with Zeus. Um, and I'm telling the story to like the plebeians down on, on planet Earth. I wanted to make sure to really build into the fact that, yeah, I don't do drugs anymore. But I'm still so confused mm-hmm. every day trying to, like, take care of myself so I, don't, so I don't do something stupid. Well, what I thought was really – and I actually wrote down that quote about you didn't want to write a binary. That yeah, really yeah. struck me because, like, I think one of the things I personally struggle with is this idea of that people are not necessarily the things they do mm-hmm. and that the world can't be divided into good and bad people. Right. And if you read something like this, <clears throat> it's like – It's almost like when I read Coal Miner's Daughter when I was a kid, I thought, oh, this is the finished product. Hmm. This is the story of Loretta Lynn, and this is the end of the story. But she was like 35 years old and had another, you know, however many years to live. You say at the end of yours, either at the end of the book, no, I read a lot of interviews last night, but either in the book or at the end of an an interview, you say, I could relapse before you finish reading this sentence. The story's not over. It's ongoing. I love that. That's in the last paragraph of the book. Mm -hmm. I wanted to make sure to kind of leave. Shoot, I gave away the ending. Spoilers. I wanted to make sure that the reader knew that the whole book is supposed to be this eye-to-eye transaction. That I'm never, like, condescending to them, nor am I putting them on some sort of pedestal. Like, we're going to look each other right in the eyeballs from page one until until page at the end. Because I, I wanted this to be the most human book that I could possibly make it. And the way to do that is to be honest about your brittleness or your frailties or the things about yourself that you're ashamed of. So I felt like if I brought an open heart, that a reader would bring an open heart to the to the table as well. And have they so far? So far, so good. I mean, I'm hearing from all sorts of my... Um, my tribe, you know, all the prodigals. <laughs> what do you mean by that? Just, you know, oh, I people know what you mean. who are like still not doing right by themselves, but are starting to get to the point where they they recognize that they're not having fun in that lifestyle anymore. I heard from a guy on Monday who was like, yeah, I've been off methadone for 15 minutes. And I was like, I don't think you're off methadone. I think you're out of methadone. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I stopped chewing the last pretzel 30 seconds ago. I'm done with pretzels. Pretzels are pretzels over. Pretzels suck <laughs> and are for losers. No. Don't you on. think, um, I mean, there's something so heartening for every kind of person to read that it's hard and you face it every day, and you're still ongoing. I think there. I mean, it reminds me of the end of Ulysses. Hey, a little bit. Um, yes, and yes, okay. <laughs> yes, and yes, and yes, and yes, and yes. Or, or maybe Beckett. I don't know. Um, guess depending on your mood. But I, I did find I did find reading it because I knew you through part of this and had no idea mm-hmm. about your past or about your present, the things that were going on with you with your heart, I did not know, just to realize how much can be going on in a human being and you can just be passing them in the hall and saying, hey, and right. kind, of, kind of chatting over coffee. You never know I mean, what it people made are me, carrying with them. It, it, yeah, and it made me more 
I, I think I made me a better human being. Oh, look what I did. What could you I ask know. for? Maybe, I hope. It may, it may remind but me not of for like me. walking huh? down the aisle of an airplane that's about to take off. Yeah. You're like, you see a, a woman sitting in 6F. And she just, from from outside appearances, everything's fine. Like, mm-hmm. we're going to go to L.A. or whatever. But inside her are these sort of, like, magnificent and vibrant explosions where she's, like, utterly convinced the plane's going to go down. <laughs> right. It's the sort of terror where she knows that we're all going to die. We're still talking about me. And we can't see it. <laughs> we can't see that stuff from the outside. And that's, and, and that's what great fiction does. And that's what Sirens does. Oh, cool. And so, A, kudos to you. B, could a, someone who wasn't a novelist have written that? Um, written it as a novel? Well, no. I think that the way it's written, it isn't written as your traditional or your typical um, addiction memoir. It is. There is so much humanity and so much empathy. I, I felt so much empathy. Well, I think structure is key to that in that it's not presented as this linear AA share. Right. Right. Like I used to party and it was really fun. And now eventually and I, I used to party and uh, not so fun anymore. <laughs> and then I did something dumb and now I'm clean. Um, I mean, I think that's so boring and we've heard that story 185,000 times. It's a little James Fry. It is. Hopefully without the lies. Without the lies. Who, by the way, a friend of mine met at a party before that book came out and was shocked. He was like, I just thought he was someone's dad in vans. Yeah, he's a super douche, that guy. I was going to say, I only remember reading an interview with him in Poets and Writers at the height of the book and thinking, what an Did he, asshole. What happened to him? Did he I don't know. bounce back? or? He, I don't know what the organization is called, but he, oh, yeah, he started right. this like, publishing house that's where right. he was going to Columbia and being like, hey, all of you guys are like 200000 bucks in debt from your MFA program. That's right. Sign here. I'll give you X amount of dollars. But then... I get all the I get right. all the royalties. Oh, ooh! And I had a buddy who did it, um, who wrote "I Am Number Four, which went I remember on to this. go in Joey Hughes, right. who then went on to sell film rights and blah blah blah. And Joey didn't get any of that stuff. Whoa! Wow. Went straight so, to Super Douche Fry. Here on the Grotto Pod, nothing good to say about we James have Fry. nothing good to say Super about him. Douche I would actually lie to Oprah. Love to punch that guy in the face. Whoa. Oh, and if you could see You've what I can see, James, you would not be uh, be walking around feeling okay with yourself. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'd be worried. I'd be running scared because he. I think he is a little tiny guy. James? Yeah, he might be a little bit. Yeah, because Josh is not, no, and Josh also is is, well, has like tatted up. I sort stuff, of so. hope that he's not a little tiny guy. I don't, think, I don't think he is. Yeah. But I do remember reading the interview with him. I hadn't read the book. It was before all that came out, and I thought, this does not ring true. Right. Does, uh, this, people don't talk about themselves this way. Like, yeah, I was on the Well, I remember talking to a sober, a sober buddy of mine about the, that opening scene where he's, the, his oh, he's in the plane with all the whole up. Yeah. I haven't read it. And we were, uh, both of us were like, it's pretty compelling. And no one does that. Like, if you get that beat up, everybody looks in the mirror. It's impossible that he would not have taken the time to do that. Actually, I'm glad you brought that up because it was something I was wondering, and let me put this in the right way. I listen to Mark Maron a lot, Mm -hmm. and I feel like when he has addicts on and they start talking about drugs, he misses it a ton, and he's kind of bragging about his drug past. Oh, yeah, sure. And you don't seem to be bragging. You seem to truly feel badly about it. There's no bravado. Let's put it that way. I don't think that the the risks I took in structuring Sirens, I don't think it's risky for me to talk about brazen things, you know, like fistfights, affairs, you know, cocaine, strippers, all that stuff. That's not risky. What was risky was me talking about my daughter. 
Like me with, the, me with the diaper bag and my like stupid sack lunch wearing a baby <laughs> Bjorn. Like men don't talk about that era in their kids' lives at all. So that made me feel more self-conscious than, you know, telling a story about me beating some dude in North Beach and stealing his money. Like that was like, grr, you know, right, like, badass. Right. You know, like, Although reading it is painful. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Sure. Can you can you talk a little bit about the structure? Tell me. Tell yeah. us. Tell us. You know, I'm how, in the room what, too. What, 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 how, did, how did it come out? out? I know. I, I, I'm, I'm bad. The, well, what I wanted to do is I wanted to have two distinct and cogent timelines, one being told in the past tense and one right. being told in the present tense. And I wanted them to sync up right in the climaxes for what I was thinking about is dueling climaxes. Which sounds like a '70s jam band. It does. So I apologize for that. But Over it, it, some it, porn highlights. I, yeah, right. It made it more interesting to say, like, so for the surgery I had, I had to relapse. Right. So I think I would be that it would be even more petrifying or harrowing if you see me finally making the decision to get in rehab, right as the needle's going into my artery for my kind of fentanyl drip because you realize like exactly how high the stakes are and it ups kind of the I think it transcends a, an addiction story at that point and it just becomes this this existential moment but like, fascinating what do you do? To, fascinating to me as a non-addict because I was like what's the big deal right you know you just take it and you're done yeah yeah I mean on paper I would agree with you but obviously you know right after the when I woke up from the surgery and I when I should have been so ecstatic that I was finally going to be gifted this opportunity to watch my daughter grow up. All I wanted to do was light my marriage on fire. I didn't ever want to go home. I didn't ever want to see my daughter again. I just wanted to like get a vial of special K and like shoot the whole thing. Does it make you angry? It makes me ashamed of myself. It doesn't make me angry. I, I just remember because I couldn't pick the the surgeon's orders where I wasn't allowed to pick the my daughter up for the first week after the surgery. So I was bunked out in my sister's guest room. And just sitting there by myself, you're like, I just want to disappear. I just want to get high, and I couldn't walk. So, I mean, our Thank thoughts God. get so yeah. loud, right? Yeah. And this this kind of, like, audible shame ricocheting around my my cranium. It was And shame is crazy. not good for addiction, I'm shame guessing. Shame's not good. Yeah. Shame's not good. And especially because I think as addicts, we want to have a reason that everybody would understand. So if I would say to you, hey, Bridget and Larry – I had heart surgery, and the pain after the surgery was so immense. Well, that's usually how it's sold to us, too. Right. You know, so-and-so, Jeff Tweedy, you know, became an addict because he had a back problem. And right. He got hooked on the prescription drugs, and that was yeah. that. I mean, I had a Vicodin script. Yeah, you know? just in your hand. That must have been awful. It was awful. But it was also this – it was also sort of this, like, um, well, what are you made of, motherfucker? Right. Like, are you going to take the easy way out? Like, here it is. Like, or are you going to, like, walk the walk? Okay, okay. Do you think that being a writer, being an artist, in some ways gave you the backbone to confront that? It gave me a thoughtful avenue to be Mm self-reflective. So I was able to kind of use the page as some sort of sanctuary to play out. Like, I'm a huge advocate of playing out worst-case scenarios. So there's a scene in the book that I wrote where it obviously is not the truth because it's a superimposition about the future, which is I did 
go out after my surgery and Ava tracks me down when she's 20 years old. Right. Oh, right. And I open the door and I'm drinking in the morning and I'm naked and she's confronting me for abandoning her mm-hmm. for her entire life. And moments like that, like, yeah, one Vicodin would feel great mm-hmm. or one beer. I, li- I like beer. Yeah, sure. Too. good. And then all of a sudden you realize, yeah, but I can't do that. It would be three months later, three years later, 30 years later, and you waste your life. I remember being in rehab and thinking to myself, I am so lucky to be here at 33. I was looking around at all these older faces like I'd only ruined my life. But there were people there who had ruined so much more than that. And I I recognize that I have this position of privilege that I got clean. um, And you only went once. Yep. And it worked. One bot. Yeah, one rehab. It's interesting to me, though, that you were writing and productive even during the darkest days. Mm-hmm. How would you pull that off? I mean, I think it's what Bridget was talking about, you know, mm-hmm. finding that, that asylum, uh, ways, ways to use your art to investigate the things that typically we just keep in our, in our head or in our heart. Mm-hmm. And they gain prowess, right? The longer we keep those secrets, the stronger they become and the more um, energy that they have the more apt we are to probably go out and not do right by ourselves. But being able to use the page as some sort of, you know, refuge, I mean, you could probably make the argument that that, that's probably what kept me clean. Although there are people who say, and I can sometimes agree with this, writing is not therapy. And yet I think writing taken, this is me talking, writing taken Mm -hmm. to the level of art is therapy because it's in the structure yeah. It's in the discipline of facing the page. It's in the discipline of creating and not just spewing right. that I think the transformation happens. And the the idea about you know learning and knowing how to curate your own life. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I could have very easily published Sirens as this like six hundred page tome. Right. You know, and in our society or our, our literature community. You know, they, they love the man book. They like, do. oh my gosh, if your book's 800 pages, you're fucking smart. You're Jonathan Franzen. <laughs> wow. Uh, but I specifically curated this or distilled this down to this, you know, little bullet of a book that you could read like a stage play where you, got, you read 100 pages, you go out in the lobby, have some peanuts, have a glass of wine, and then you come, come back, back and, you, and you finish. I would imagine it only takes... Three hours to read this book, something like that. I read it over the weekend. I was going to say, I gave it to Larry on Thursday. Right. Yeah. And it's a hard, put, it's a hard to put down book, too. Like, what's going to happen next? Good. I mean, I think that's the novelist programming in me. Yeah. I'm, I'm very conscious of readability. I always tell my students that if, if a reader's gracious and generous enough to give you her time in her very busy life where she's got a family and job and all that stuff, she gives, what, 20 minutes a day to herself. Um, and if she's going to, like, check out a book of yours, it's got to be pretty compelling. Like, make it the most kick-ass ride you can. <clears throat> okay, so this is the part where I want to bring up Bukowski. Okay. I'm assuming that as a young man, I was telling Bridget before you got here, so, like, this book is kind of what my, my friends and I pretended to be in our 20s. Right. But we were very into the idea of let's go sit in a bar in our leather jackets and write poetry on the back of a napkin. That's what writers do, man. Mm-hmm. And it was all from in just like consuming these Bukowski books in college. But the one thing I got out of Bukowski was it's easy to read. It's accessible. 
Yeah. If you want to write. So how much Bukowski did you read? I think most. Did you just plow through those Black Sparrow, the, the entire I catalog? I did. I think um, you read Bukowski when you're a young man and you never go back to it. Right. That's like, just right. what I said. I said That's I read I all said that too. when I was a right. teenager I and I've never read it again. Yeah. And I was like, he's telling the exact same story over and over. But you know what's interesting? Let me see if I can find it very quickly. The thing about Bukowski that, that resonates with me now isn't the um, the war stories or, you know, him being this, you know, barroom bar brawler. It's when he sort of allowed himself to be vulnerable and when he allowed himself to be fragile, which didn't happen very often, but it's, it's, that, it's that poem, Bluebird. You guys know that poem? Yeah. I don't know it, no. Um, it's very short. I'll read it to you. This is a Bukowski's poem, Bluebird. There's a bluebird in my heart that wants to get out, but I'm too tough for him. I say, stay in there. I'm not going to let anybody see you. There's a bluebird in my heart that wants to get out, but I pour whiskey on him and inhale cigarette smoke. And all the shits and the bartenders and the grocery clerks never know that he's in there. There's a bluebird in my heart that wants to get out, but I'm too tough for him. I say, stay down. Do you want to mess me up? You want to screw up the works? You want to blow my book sales in Europe? There's a bluebird in my heart that wants to get out, but I'm too clever. I only let him out at night sometimes when everybody's asleep. I say, I know you're there, so don't be sad. And I put him back, but he's singing a little in there. I haven't quite let him die. And we sleep together like that with our secret pact. And it's nice enough to make a man weep, but I don't weep. Do you? You know what? I think that's what we were all shooting for. You know, all of us like romantic young men. Yeah. It's in there, but you got to work to find it because right. we're trying to keep it hidden from you. You know, I think that when you when you're able to to balance um, that that humility or, or that that grace, like I guarantee you, like he wrote that with just a five alarm hangover. <laughs> like he woke up and just absolutely hated himself. Yes, and that's the only time where he would be able to be that honest. Right. But I think the trick was making sure that people knew that that was in there. Sure. That there was a glimpse of yeah. that. I mean, anybody who loved self-destruction, I went through. I mean, I, I loved Hubert Selby at that age, some of those Nelson Algren books, Kathy Acker, Kate Braverman. I think we're a little bit older than you, and I'm, a, I'm surprised yeah, that you are. were reading those because yeah. they were so I big. Think, Kathy think, Acker was huge when I was a certain teenager. kind of – and I'm just you know, for a certain kind of young man. I think that stuff's irresistible. Well, timeless. I read all that too. It's I don't think end. it's I don't think it's young man. Just I think really? it's the. I, I was saying to Larry before we started. I only read men when I was hmm. a teenager. Only thing. In fact, I was in grad school. Got very very sick, and a friend brought me Jane Austen. And wow. I thought, what am I going to do with this shit? <laughs> like I couldn't. But there was not. But it, there was no internet. Right. I I was at the mercy of kindness. But I really think those those same young men are going to read Josh Moore now because it's the same sort of thing. It's like, and I was when I was reading your uh, sirens, I was thinking this too. You know, we've had you're our third guest, third fourth. Mm-hmm. First three were women, and first three were mannered. They were their writing was mannered, and it was nice, and it was oh, you know, this is kind of literature. I don't have manners. Is that what you're saying? You're totally mannerless. <laughs> it's a very small space to keep your manner. No. Well, the other thing, that, Larry, that I think is really interesting about what you're saying is nobody makes art in a vacuum. And we live in this remix culture in, in 2017. So not only am I aware of, like, Bukowski's work, but I also know that I don't want, I'm not interested in writing like that. 
Mm-hmm. So that you take, you cherry pick the parts of Bukowski, like Bluebird, like, I want that in my work. Right. And I don't, I want to keep this stuff. And the accessibility. I want to keep this stuff out. Yeah. I do want to go circle back, though, to Jane Austen and to the previous women writers who we've interviewed, because I think if you read Josh's novel, what we have read before, or the people that we were interviewing before were writing fiction, mm-hmm. and All This Life, uh, Josh's novel that won the Northern California Book Award, 2014 or 2016? Uh, This year, yeah. This year, 2016. 2016. No, this is 2017. Oh, my God. I know. Crazy. Haven't Um, you been on Facebook? That they would be, they would be much, they would be, they would feel more similar. I think it's partly that this is nonfiction, that it has that tone. And and this, the memoir too, like I wrote that to sound like a punk song. Like I, I, I left it very ugly at times. Like I didn't want the guitar tuned properly. <laughs> I wanted the drummer skipping beats. Yes. Okay, I raise wanted, your hand you know, if you're in a punk band. I know, right? Um, you weren't? I thought you were a musician. I, I was a musician for yeah. a long time. I don't really do it. I mean, the um, music was a huge part of this revision process because I almost exclusively yeah, revised this out loud. I read your playlist. Oh, nice. Yeah. You a large hearted boy. Um, and that was, oh, I meant was to. I, I I saw that and it forgot to look punk. at it. I would love to see it. It's nice to have music with lyrics and with its own sovereign energy, kind of competing with you because they're not working together. And I love that dissonance to kind of feel that that tussle. I want I wanted the book to seem mad at times. Wait, so are you saying? Because I haven't seen the list. Are you saying that it wasn't the same kind of? Tone as the book, or it was something else that, like, you were listening to no, the Bee Gees, like and this is what you ended because you, you were like in con- on conflict. I do, I do often sit around and listen to the Bee Gees. The, um, I it's it. the no, conflict I part. I wanted, I wanted there to be a, a certain time signature to the book that was consistent, but I wanted to revise it to music that wasn't Got working it. together. Got it. Because hmm. what just excited me about what you said, and this has happened, I've twice taken classes with Josh and both fiction classes, I don't write fiction, and got ex- super great ideas from your classes. Oh, cool. Got really um, fired up and produced, I thought, great work toward my next book, which is about 18th century women artists. Oh, wow. And it just occurred to me that I would like to listen to punk rock, punk rock while wow. I write that yeah. because it keeps moving into this sort of precious academic yeah. bullshit. <clears throat> right. And I want it to feel like the French Revolution. Right. And just listen to PJ Harvey. Exactly. Like I mean, I, I feel... Blo- okay. Write that down. I'm writing That's that down right do. now. Well, here's the bad but, news. But, yeah, it's great. Yeah, bad um, news. That you already know. Oh, I do. <clears throat> you can try your hardest to indoctrinate your children with the music you love, yeah. 15 years later, they're going to play Enrique Iglesias and tell you it's awesome. My daughter's only three and a half, and we listen to, I've got all these great vinyl records, and the only record we listen to is Taylor Swift. My son, <clears throat> was he has a playlist he's made in the car that says on it, Mom's List, because it doesn't have any bad words, because I've never heard those before. <laughs> <laughs> and I am son's not... 16. <laughs> he's 18. Oh, 18. And... 
Hairway, Hairway. This goes to show you Hairway to how much I like this song. <laughs> Stairway to Heaven came on. And I'm my eyes are rolling back in my head. I'm like making vomiting gestures in the yeah. car. And he goes, you know this song? Oh. And I, I had to say, unfortunately, I do. I'm sorry to everyone out there. But yeah. that is everything I hated when don't I was ever, his age. Don't ever apologize yeah. for not liking Led Zeppelin. I don't think you Okay, thank you. That I'm not going to. I, think of, I loathe like Led Zeppelin. Like the stoners in seventh grade going, this isn't real Zeppelin, man. Mm-hmm. And they were right. Actually, Stairway I, to Heaven isn't. I am so well, not into that. <laughs> I, was, I remember hearing Paul Harding give a lecture one time about how to make durable art. You know, the art that stands up to multiple readings. So it's it, it, it keeps cascading beauty and it keeps cascading things that had previously not been seen by the audience. I think about that a lot with, with books, but music too. Like, like Pink Floyd... Obviously had like a pretty good run. The other band I was going to say, but right now up there it, sounds, it sounds sarcastic to me. Like when I, I hear listen. Pink Floyd, I'm like, that, that's not a real thing. People yeah. didn't really like this, did they? <laughs> that's how I feel. It just boggles oh my, my mind. Well, but it was I'm just, sorry. I mean, it was super stony, right? Yeah, when it was, I was for Pink Floyd. It seemed really, I don't know, not sarcastic, but kind of flaccid. Absolutely. Flaccid is the perfect word. Everything. I am so enjoying this conversation. But while we're talking about art, question maybe a little close to the bone. All This Life won a great award. It was your sixth, I think, novel. Is that correct? Something. You've written a lot. Yeah, fifth novel, yeah. Fifth novel. Oh, Sirens is your sixth book. Right. And this was Soft Skull. Uh, This, I'm pointing to the novel. (laughs) Good radio. Yeah, Yeah, I know. I'm good at that. (laughs) Hey, man. Master, master of all genres. How was it switching gears, writing a memoir, getting it out there? Art is rewarded, right? Tell me, tell me how this went. Well, my first novel, Some Things That Meant the World to Me, was a very thinly veiled memoir. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did that with my pals at, at $2 Radio. Um, and it felt like, in terms of creating some sort of emotional symmetry, Mm-hmm. that it would be nice to to finish this book or finish kind of that conversation oh, fantastic. with them. Um, and it was great. I'm, I'm really glad that I made the decision because I trust them, not just kind of artistically, but I also trust them that they're only trying to help me write the book that I want to write and not to be thinking about audience. Which so is so huge. Forth. And not that Counterpoint Soft Skull would necessarily have ulterior motives right but i just you can you i'm only going to write one memoir hopefully right if i can write right. another memoir that means something fucked up i was just going to say that <laughs> yeah and i just wanted to make sure that the person who was going to be my co-pilot during the remix process was only worried about producing the best artifact possible fabulous and they seem great i follow oh, them on twitter they're rad. and i really like them they're on rad. twitter I know nothing more than that. And well, that they I was on a tour book. one time, and I was in Chicago, and they, the people who run $2 Radio, Eric and Eliza, open off live in Ohio. And he was like, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll pick you up after the reading. So you came to Chicago? Like, what? So, yeah, he picked me Fantastic. up and drove me to the next, like, three or four or two or six. It's the little things. Hey, man, that's the Midwest. Right? Great people. That was like total punk van, you know? <laughs> the next city together. I dig it. Hopefully. Not all those things on the floor yes. of the van. Yeah. You had the little uh, bunks built out of wood in the back. Urine there. rolling around <laughs> in an, a, a rolling rock bottle. <laughs> um, 
There was one thing I wanted to talk about that Bridget and I were sort of touching on before you got here. And it's this idea, when you write a memoir like this, that it's so, it's so heightened, mm-hmm. I kept having to remind myself that there were probably moments, long periods of time, when you were just a guy lying on the couch watching a football game or doing a crossword puzzle. Mm-hmm. And I think those, those times in between, I don't even know, kind of, I don't know what the question is here. I just think it's really fascinating that I had to keep reminding myself, well, I mean, I don't know. This, I, I assume this wasn't your life every day when you were an addict. There were days. Like, even Kurt Cobain had moments where he laughed uproariously. Yeah. You know? I, I mean, if I did my job right, there's, there's some humor in the book, too. But I, I think that it speaks to what we were talking about earlier. There's about definitely absurdity. How you curate it. You know, mm-hmm. be like, you don't need to see me going to Ocean Beach if nothing happened that day. Right. Like, making sure that I'm only kind of hitting the highlights or hitting those, not me highlights of the wrong word, but hitting those moments of kind of emblematic action mm-hmm. that you can make certain inferences about a, how that year was going based on yeah. how this one I guess vignette it's a, was behaving. I guess it's the same as why we never see anyone looking for a parking space in a movie. You know, because, well, that's the scene started after that. Yeah. We don't really need to yeah, know. Yeah, how that. you manipulate time. Like, what, what are you choosing to kind of assign value? Like, this is basically a book without any fat. It's just like the totally like meat of one scene to the meat of one scene. There's no connective tissue. It is like an album that way. Yeah. It does seem to go from song to song. It is a punk rock album. Because they're short. And it's real stripped down. Yeah, for sure. I loved it. Well, the other funny thing about about pacing too is that you also have to think about what you're telling about about yourself and in what order you want the reader to be interacting with those things. And so that became like this sort of kind of like personality mosaic. Like I'm going to tell them that I'm generous here and I'm going to tell them that I'm sort of a bastard here. Yeah. And then making sure that I'm always saying new things about myself rather than just confirming things that they already know. And did you have to get past a bridge and maybe not and maybe this is different from the point of view of someone who's a recovering addict. Did you have to cross a bridge where you decided what it would be okay for your daughter and wife and father to read? Oh, no, I'm sorry, your father passed, your mother. I don't worry about that so much. You know, maybe that was just the the energy with which I wrote that first draft, which I was utterly convinced I was going to die on the operating table. Mm -hmm. And to have that sort of ticking clock was actually very liberating. We don't ever hear people talk about a ticking clock as being liberating. It's always punitive. But I found it to be like, just get it all down there. It doesn't matter. You're going to die. You're going to die. You're going to die. So I had that very pure draft and then I you know I wrote six or seven drafts after that but I made very I went I went I think above and beyond the call of duty to try to remain true to that initial conception of purity man whoever's in charge has given you plenty to deal with do you feel like you're a resilient person no I don't know I mean there are days there are days where I feel like um, I don't even know if I'm gonna make it you know Till noon, you know, without do, doing something stupid. Um, and then there are days where I feel more, more solidly in my in my sobriety. Um, I, I wanted I wanted the book to be true from the standpoint that like not the one day at a time stuff. Like mm-hmm. I think that's that's too easy, you know. But just the just the idea being that like within the time, the duration of this podcast, that there's going to be sort of like all of these undulations where you're sort of running, running the gamut. Right. And I think that message, that very important message 
that the struggle is ongoing mm-hmm. and that it waxes and that it wanes. It came across across really clearly. Oh, cool. Well, there's also the, the the one presence in the book, you know, that we talked about kind of two presences. We talked about kind of the caveman running around the mission district. Mm-hmm. And then we talked about kind of, you know, Subaru outback dad, <laughs> you know. But there's also this meta narrator. There's this person who's constructing the book. And I I go way out of my way to remind the reader that this book is being constructed while they're reading it. I'll give a specific example to the audience where there's a moment where I was on tour, I was in Portland, and I was interviewing a writer that I had long admired um, over dinner, and he ordered a bourbon and soda, and, and I just said, oh, yeah, I'll have one too. That blew me away. And I was like, holy shit, what did I just say? I was brand spanking new sober. I got out of rehab at the end of January or beginning of February 2009, and I was on tour at in June of 2009. And this, you know, really big debate incited in my in my spirit. Like, am I going to have this drink with Joe Mino or am I going to choose to honor my sobriety? So as I was writing that scene in my apartment, it dawned on me that I had that whole conversation with Mino recorded on my dictaphone. So I finished writing that scene with Mino, went into the other room, listened to the recording, and then came back and talked about the recording. And what did the recording sound like? It just sounded so prosaic. That's what is most fascinating to me. You have yeah. no idea. Like we talked about earlier, you have no idea what's right. going on. And we were just, we sounded, you know, cerebral and funny and, oh, look, I can say words like in co-it. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> and inside you're like, holy yeah, shit. Yeah, you a cartoon representation of, of the inside of your head. I'm watching this, like, sweaty tumbler full of bourbon. That was published as a separate piece somewhere. I remember reading it a year ago. Was I did, that? yeah, BuzzFeed ran that. BuzzFeed. You I, pulled a couple yeah. things out, didn't you? Because there were, wasn't there pieces of the Washington Post thing you just did? This this book excerpts really well. Yeah. So we've we've flung a lot of it around town, for sure. <laughs> One of the scenes I found the most moving in the whole book is when you go to the zoo with your daughter and yeah. run into a guy oh, you used to drink with. Seamus. Yeah. Wow. It just, and it, it, that's, it's, it's a very prosaic scene. It yeah. wouldn't have necessary. And a lot of it's internal, in a way, how you're feeling. Right. But it packed a punch. Well, what was interesting about writing a scene like that, just for kind of all aspiring writers who were listening there, is the balancing act I had to strike was I couldn't sound judgmental. Right. But for the grace of God, go I. Right. I couldn't be like, oh, look at this disgusting alcoholic who couldn't get his shit together and I'm here with my shiny daughter. I'm obviously (laughs) no better than him. So that was kind of the balancing act that I had to strike because the point of the scene was I am him. It could all be gone tomorrow. Yep. In three hours from now. Absolutely. And he sure. might have a daughter somewhere. He might be needing to make some money for his family. Anything's Shame, possible. I would imagine that Seamus might have a, a couple little Seamuses. Shame I? Shame, Shame I. Shame I. I running around? Plural. Okay. Seamus is an awesome name. It is. I, <clears throat> I didn't change his name because I just love the way Seamus sounded. That's interesting because I often find, as a nonfiction writer, just it kills me to change someone's name. Yeah. So often the name is perfect. Yeah, I just didn't figure he was going to read it. Um, and if he did... Did you use his last name? I don't remember. No. That. No, it's I didn't think first so. Names. My sex ed teacher in high school was named Dick Wigglesworth. No, come on. Wow. And it kills me that I can't use that. I, I just, I'm just i so glad I just said it. it. I've always yeah. wanted to say that. I'll take that. a name like from someone I played Little League with and bring it back like 40 years later. You could but just what shorten it to Dick Wiggle. What yeah. ma- well, that's true. Wiggle's worth, worth, though. It has no worth. But literally. it's the nonfiction piece. It's the reality that makes it so fantastic. Yeah. And 
as an Irish American, the guy's name being Seamus, it's meaningful to me. Like I, yeah. that is you everything. Did, so you had some crazy names of people though. Did I? Yeah. What are you thinking about specifically? Shoot, I can't. You, you catalog them in the beginning. There's one scene in the beginning where you catalog the people you're hanging around. Oh, right. I'm like, mm-hmm. huh? He knew some people that are a little colorful. Yeah, I, yeah definitely in there because I spent a summer house less. I'm not going to say homeless because no. I didn't ever sleep right. on the street. Um, couch surfing. I was couch I, yeah. surfing. So I went through everybody I could remember. You were I, homeless, but with resources. Absolutely. Yeah. I was Caucasian homeless. I was just yes. going to say. Middle class white boy homeless. Yeah. yeah. Couch surfing. In um, so yeah, I did try to like have a litany of people who graciously opened up their home. Now, were those restaurant people? Because I got to say, as a former restaurant worker, it seems significant to me. I mean, working in restaurants is where I realize that people will do anything. Right. And it seemed like if you're someone who's going to tend to be an addict, you're going to be more addicts working in a restaurant. Well, that was the whole reason I started bartending. Yeah. You know, I mean, I bartended all through my 20s. I ran a, a bar in the Mission District at the tor- corner of 22nd in Valencia called Alma, which is now where Garcon is with their exclamation point. Don't you hate that exclamation point? I haven't Come seen on. it. I'm so what disturbed at what you're telling me. at the beginning? Garcon. That would be Garcon. pretty cool. That sense to me. So that Wait, was well, the, how can Garcon be in the Mission? That is so stupid. It's a different yeah. place. You see, as a former member of the real estate industry, there's the Mission. Can you be a former member? I guess I kind of still am because I write about stuff. But there's and the mission, here. <laughs> and there's Mission Dolores, right. and oh. Mission Dolores is Valencia Street. So it kind of got sucked in, except for the parts that are Baja Noe Valley. Oh my gosh, that just makes me. Do you know when right I first here. moved to San Francisco, I lived in Western Edition, but now I live in Nopa. Right, right. Yeah, all these new things. Nopa. Which I thought was hilarious the first time I heard it, and when now first, everyone says it with no. Well, what? the other cool thing about the restaurant business is it becomes this. Um, surrogate family. You meet really great people. Yes. And typically they're all either painters or sculptors or right. musicians or writers. I wonder, do you think it's that way still? I don't know. Because I remember temping years ago, you'd find the same thing. Like, oh, i got to write a play on my, you know, my oh, lunch wow. hour. But I don't know if it's if economics will allow that to happen anymore. I hope so. Me too. I really do. I, I mean, loved restaurant some people. Of, some of the best friends that I've never made in my entire life, we had, we had fled other places, came here and been like, oh, well, you're a, you're a mess. I'm a mess. Like, the same kind and of mess. you're handling my food. This is, yeah. I have and not worked in the restaurant I industry. Just, so. I just worked a really <laughs> intense job. Now. And it's midnight, and I want to be alone, and I'm really jacked up, so I want to go drink. Come on, let's yeah. go. And then all the fantastic drugs that I have ever found were all because of the restaurant business. Did either of you read Sweet Bitter? That mm. came out in the spring, I think, by a very young woman in her maybe mid-20s, maybe even younger, about moving to New York City from Ohio, I think, mm. maybe upstate New York, and becoming a restaurant worker at an upscale restaurant and then a cocaine addict. Yeah. It was, it was very good. It's not a lifestyle for everyone. Well, what beca- what's funny about it is that what becomes you know ubiquitous – would totally shock somebody else. Right. To you, it's just like a normal day. Like, for example, right. I had this crazy arm numbness one day at work, and I was like, that's not good. Hopefully not a heart attack. Right. Yeah. So I, went to the right the, side. I went to the doctor, um, and he goes, well, how many drinks do you have a week? So I was like, I don't know, 80? <laughs> um, and, like, that didn't even seem like a lot to me. Like, you like, break it down. 12, 12 a day, and then, like, one Time night seven. I'm going to, like, go for it. Um, and I had the look on his face was like, 
What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> because also they're trained to double it. Oh yeah. If you say oh, a number, yeah, that's supposed to be honest. My sister's a doctor. If you tell, if she asks how many drinks you have a week, and yeah. you tell her, then she doubles it. I love that. So what did you say? Ninety. He said eighty. Eighty. So eighty one hundred and sixty. Like, this guy's drinking a case. Of I beer wonder. Day. His, right. He's actually numb from the neck down. But this was this is how much of a hack this doctor was. I was like, hey, I'm having numbness. Blah blah. blah. He didn't order any tests and goes. Oh, did you have a did you have a one night stand last night? And I go, I did not have a one night stand last night. Why? Because well, because sometimes if a if a lady is lying on your arm, we call oh. it Saturday night palsy. What? Did you even know that was a thing? I didn't know that. Okay, was a there's thing. at least a short story in this. Saturday night palsy. Did you great uh, title? It is a good title. ready made title. Wait a second. Hold on. Hold on. Why does it have to be a one night stand? What if you just have a lady? Right. What if you he have a dude? Just, like, he I guess he that figured life. if it oh, wasn't a one night stand, you'd be less likely to fake. Oh no, cuddling. He was yeah. had just taken Bard in from Danville and was like wearing this like appalling Dockers cornflower oh. blue combo. He just was like <laughs> saw a young man and was like, "You're probably so in your wild oats." Yeah. Good for you. Don't have go a to drink. Danville. <laughs> don't go to Danville. You've had to go to Danville, probably, and I have too. For where um, is Danville? It's where Athenian is. Athenian. That high school that our yeah. kids. Oh, yeah. soccer! I've been to Danville. Yeah. I've been to Danville. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I have Lovely. been to Danville. Lovely this time of year. I'm so I've lived it, in San know, Francisco. I so will long. say that the drive there, you pass by some rural stuff that's kind of cool. Yeah. Did you? I forget. So you were from Phoenix, but you moved here. Was it East Bay that you moved here? When I you went teenager? to high school in Lafayette, California. Lafayette. Okay. Larry still has a, a romantic relationship with rural America. I yes. do have a romantic relationship with rural America. I came from as rural America. I love it. <laughs> I did too. Yeah, but, but, not, but I moved when I was ten. I have no romance for California. cows, having grown up on a dairy, or water towers, or right. Well, what else? I don't know. I don't know. It's not farms. It's not my. It's not, not, my it's not your yeah, purview. Not farms. No. No, no. It's small town. Small town. Though when I was in Moscow, Idaho last summer, and they had the silos on the edge of town, I thought that was. Did pretty you know cool. that there's a place in silos. the East Bay called Sonol? Yes. Oh, Sonol Grade. And I've heard that on the radio. They, like a few years ago, more than a few years ago, elected. A dog to be their mayor. Oh boy! And when the dog died, they stuffed it and made it into a beer tap. Let me ask you something. Now you're not here anymore, so we don't see you around the grotto. Tell me. I mean, we we keep wanting to ask people about the grotto because this is the grotto pod. Right, grotto oh, pod. That's called grotto pod. Or maybe Isn't just that capital fun to G. Say? Capital I don't want to put words P. in your mouth. It's not only the grotto pod podcast. It's actually you're in the grotto pod. Yes. Because it's very pod-like. And, and we're very merge, close to each other. Fully formed. Grotto bathtub. It's yeah. Good. It's a little small. But when did you join the grotto? I joined the grotto while I was writing this Again, novel, pointing. All This Life. Excellent radio. When, because um, I had written very successfully at home. And mm-hmm. then once I had my daughter, I couldn't write home anymore. Roger that. Um, and needed some sort of place where I wasn't a dad or I wasn't a spouse. I could just go there and like just be a writer. And I was in right next to Ethan Waters at the time. And so it would be like, well, I can't really look on YouTube because like Ethan's probably like being like super smart totally. in there. So yes. like, I got to like bring it up. The best thing about yeah. being here is people are working. Totally. Presumably. That's so funny because you ever had an office job where you are on YouTube all the time? No. Sort of. I have, yeah. And it's brutal. Because you, because you, you have to be. Tell. No. Oh. oh, I'm confused. Oh, because you're sneaking. You gotta sneak. Yeah, you gotta sneak. Once I, when I worked at the Examiner, I was on YouTube sometimes. It has to be everyone. And they moved me, so I was, fa- I was like, was 
facing out from a wall. Like, yes, this is right. so great. Well, that that's probably been the biggest challenge in Seattle is because I have got this home office, but it's in a basement. So I had I went from the grotto where I was inspired every day by thirty or forty heads showing up and honoring their art, and now I'm like in my pajamas in the basement, which is the whole reason Poe and the Ethan started exactly. it in the first place. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Just to get out of their pajamas. Eventually, your relationship with your basement reaches its conclusion. I got an espresso machine, so I was like, I don't need to go. I have a basement and I have an espresso. All that's missing is a fucking noose, you know. So and then I'm set. I got it. Yeah, you're sorry. completely ready. <laughs> I remember not long, I think, after you started running into you in the kitchen and you were saying, I think you were explaining, like, this is why I've come and it's because I have a young child and I'm finding it kind of hard. And I just downloaded on poor Josh. I'm like, oh, my God, I almost didn't survive early childhood. That was like pound my head against the wall. I didn't write for six years. I went on this insane diatribe. And then I got back to my office and I thought, that was a terrible thing to say to a new parent. Like, it was horrible. Do you remember? Then I saw him the next day. I was like, everything I said, it's worth it. No, Every, don't ignore. It's true. Anybody I love kid, my kids. When they're like, when they meet somebody who's like, I think I was, she was like ten days old. Oh, and started oh man, that I, so what I said was, was like, the worst. Oh boy, war story, war story. Oh, that's the, the worst. It's like tell, it's like women talking about birth, childbirth. Like I, I'm, I, I apologize to you now <laughs> again, it's and still, that was. The, the but I'm scarred. I'm a little PTSD. The most tedious is when someone's like, well, let me tell you how we sleep trained. Yeah. Oh, like, I know. Oh my God. Or let me just, tell you what's going to be. Puked on the floor. I remember when we were pregnant. So this is twenty years ago. My wife was an adult, so we went to an adult Good. party. Oh. And all of her friends were telling us how we were going to move to the suburbs, and I was so mad. I was so resentful. And we did you? Done it. No. No, neither did we. We probably should have, but we. I didn't. know. I thought that later too. Yeah, what, were, thought, what were we hanging on to? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> All those great restaurants we no longer roots. go to. <laughs> Speaking of marrying an adult, this is like apropos of nothing. That's um, how we. That's how we roll here. Yes, but my father, Saint Brad, my Lusty father man. You can talk in about whatever law, you want. Um, my estranged father-in-law just died. Oh, mm. right. And my wife hadn't seen him in years, and she didn't want to deal with the uh, mortuary. He lived in Kentucky, oh, so yeah. I called the mortuary in Kentucky, and I was like, blah blah blah, explain the circumstances to the person I was talking to and she said and this is a direct quote is your wife over 15 that's a real thing because it's Kentucky I don't know wow. yes but do you think somebody would ask you that question Here? in California no right. no they would I, I say what is the gender of your partner right or your yeah. spouse yeah I couldn't believe it and then I so what did you say she couldn't figure out how much let the shipping say, wait, was let me be. ask <laughs> she was like I don't know how much ID. the mail is going to be so I'm like, I'll make you a deal. I'll send you $200, and then if there's leftover, send it back to me. Everybody wins. Right. I got dollar bills and coins. Okay. So she's Kentucky. clearly not from Louisville. Not, and not, and, and not <laughs> Bitcoin. It's like small town Kentucky. It was so funny. Is she 15? And I'm going to mail you some nickels. I want to know what you said. Uh, is she over 15? Is she over 15? I probably just said... You were she caught was. off guard. Oh, that's good. You yeah. said yes. Uh, what? Yes. Not, and the smart-ass thing did not come out of your mouth. I didn't that's awesome. I risk anything right. with right. cremains. Right. And, you know, I feel like I should mind my P's and Q's. <laughs> I think you were wise to do oh, that. Oh, we lost Plus your father-in-law, smart-ass. You know, we don't want to... <laughs> and then yeah, you'd exactly. have to track <laughs> it. Yeah. <laughs> then I'd have to make some mashes and lie about it. And to your wife. No one's going to win. It's probably not that hard, actually. No one's going to be... Oh. Um, since you brought that up... Uh, I just wanted to say I found the scene at your wedding with your dad very touching. 
Oh, cool. Did you, do you remember that yes, scene? Yes, I do. I that do. That was really nice. I mean, relations with parents are very, are not black and white. And I found that really touching. I, I, I remixed that scene twice. So it's, it's at the beginning of the book and then it's again at the end of the book. Uh, I feel like in life we only have a handful of memories where we've got this, <clears throat> excuse me, a visceral recall. Mm-hmm. My dad was so sick. He he performed the wedding to my first wife in the beginning of August, and he died eight weeks later. So he was like right at the end of his life, and he was on you know this experimental treatment at the time that was called Arissa. It was sort of his like last you know mm-hmm. hail mary, um, and so he couldn't he couldn't button up his rented tuxedo, um, and I, it's it's a memory that I'll always cherish um i'll always can immediately transport myself back to that five minutes i don't remember much of anything about that wedding day probably mm-hmm. because i was drinking tequila from the minute you had your I 12 beers and yeah um but i i don't i'll never forget that moment in the hmm. with the rented tuxedo was your first wife's name really blue i was gonna ask that too her identifiable nickname during that era of her life was was blue. So everybody knew her as blue. Right. So she. But now she's more established, aged, and mature. And she goes she's by adult. her. She goes by her real name. One of now. my best friends named his daughter Blue. That's oh. why I asked that. Yeah, hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's a beautiful name, I think. And I think it felt like it was important to sort of like honor the persona of that. At that time. But it's just interesting because that is her real name for all yeah, yeah. intents and purposes. I assume and you had just changed it. Right. And it's such a – It's. I mean this is what fascinates me about nonfiction. It's right. perfect. I didn't change any names of any of the principles. So my, my best friend, her name is really Shaney. My wife's name is Lila. My daughter's mm-hmm. name is Ava. Mm-hmm. Um, and then some of the ones I just couldn't remember like – the stripper and Rita right. who gave me the baby, like, I don't know what her name is. You named her Quinn, which I was, Quinn. you know, I, I was just you. okay with that. <laughs> I was Thank you. Thank you. I was like, just who reminds me of yeah. kind of a bad parent and a stripper? It's like, Bridget could work the pole. Yeah. Oh, I'll actually <laughs> take that. I'll take it. I'll take it. And Maybe not so note. much the leaving the kid while I go score drugs. <laughs> that I'm yeah, not. Yeah, you bring him along. What yeah, have, well, right? yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't leave my child with Josh. He's one of those parents, like, sure. I need to expose him to everything. Yeah, that was, a, that was a quite an interesting day. I can imagine. Yeah. I can imagine. And on that note, we are out of time. That's the perfect note to end on. Yeah. This and was it, fun. This was super fun. Cozy. Great, ha- great having you in the Grotto Pod. It is. I like it in here. And on the Do Grotto you? Pod. Although I'm going to... I hope it's going to be a while again before we have someone in here has bigger arms than me. i got a real problem with that. So, <laughs> I, in case you're interested and want to follow me on Instagram, I posted a picture of my bicep yesterday. Oh, cool. Okay. okay. And speaking of those things, when we don't, one thing we've been neglectful is letting our guests tell people how they can follow them. Oh, yes. So why don't you go. let people know? In this day and age, it's pretty easy. you got to do, do it. it. you yeah. got to do it. you got to do yeah. it. Yeah. must be done. The website Build that platform. would just be my name, Joshua Moore, M-O-H-R dot net. Um, or Twitter, Joshua underscore more. I also make myself very easy to track down online. So if you happen to be one of those people uh, who's still trying to figure out how to do right by his or herself, pop me a note. I'm happy to weigh in and help in any way that I can. But not Joshua Moore the surfer. That's a different guy. It's a different guy. But he gives me a lot of cred on the road. Good. Oh, and that's I, awesome. I never correct somebody. Never thought yeah, about that. They think that I'm too. a surfer. I'm always like, 
Yes. <laughs> if you follow Josh on Twitter, you get to see things like pictures of him wearing a baloney eye patch. It's true. For example. Well, I'm going to follow Josh on Twitter. You must. You must. I've gone yeah. 51 years without seeing a baloney eye patch, and that's way too long. You never know when a picture of you from 15 years ago wearing a baloney eye patch is going to be appropriate. Actually, And yes. there it is. And for me, probably never, because I've never worn a baloney eye patch. And for that, I am remiss. It's not too late, Larry. Not it could be anything. Yeah. It could be anything. Yep. Yeah. BQ. Your baloney eye patch. Take us out. Okay. Read, write, just keep working. Thank you, Josh, for coming. Until next time, Grotto Peeps.